0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of 42 to Doomsday. My name is Mark. And I'm Robert. And tonight, we're going to go back, back to the past, to talk about horrible horrible historicals. Terrible singers, aren't we? (laughs)
1: So before we get onto our topic of uh, Doctor Who historicals, Mark, um, what uh, what news is there out there in the uh, Doctor Who world?
0: Oh, Alf turned a hundred. Uh, Professor Stallman himself. I think that's it.
1: That that really is it, isn't it? We've uh, we've been casting around looking for something to talk about at the top of the show, but there's sweet fa basically to talk about other than Olaf Poly, who I. Coincidentally, um, I watched uh, the first episode of *The Sandbaggers* from the from 1981, I think it was, and he featured as a guest actor. Uh, the name, when I saw it, uh, his hundredth birthday announced on um, Outpost Gallifrey. Oh, sorry, Gallifrey Base. Apologies. Um, I thought I know that name, and that's Olaf Polly, and he's he's turned uh, he's managed a uh, hundred years
0: on this. Uh, on this uh, planet So congratulations to him But other than that There's very little to talk about Let's bring the last segment Up to the front shall we Have you been watching Doctor Who recently?
1: Other than in preparation For the podcast tonight um, Where I've listened to the Audio tracks for The Myth Makers And The Massacre And uh, I've watched uh, Most of The Reign of Terror um, No there's I haven't done much In the way of Doctor Who Other than Wandering into a news agency Looking at the The latest DWM Putting it back on the shelf And walking out <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, um, no, there's 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 not much. There's just not much going on, which is, you know, a little bit sad. I suppose Cardiff has got um, its, you know, the, it, the, the curtain has come down effectively around Cardiff and no one is really seeing what's going on inside with regards to recording. No news is emanating as far as we can see other than, well, I suppose Kili Hawes, was uh was was announced as being a guest actor on the show but I mean, other than that there's no real information out there
0: there was that um, shot of some creature in the park uh, a couple of days ago some looked like a reject from the horns of Nightmare.
1: well I mean I I've I saw that on Twitter and I deliberately avoided looking at that because uh, I think I've spent every, ex- excluding Eccleston's uh, year I've deliberately avoided as much in the way of spoilers as I have I can. I'd like to come into this sort of thing cold uh, unlike a lot of people or a number of people who love spoilers I'd I prefer to be surprised and delighted um, well, you know, at least initially so no, I've not I've not seen that photo so I, I might, you know, spoil myself tonight after this and have a gander but no, there's, I mean there's nothing There's nothing going on you know, Big Finish trots out its, its material every month which is great uh, the DVDs have effectively come to an end uh, DWM continues to be a propaganda sheet for, the, for Cardiff, which is understandable I'm not going to touch it with a barge pole more or less the Omni rumor rumbles on, and like you know, the world serpent it continues to eat its own tail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, forums occasionally blow up about it, and then they simmer down. It's just uh, we're in that sort of dead zone, aren't we, where the the excitement of the 50th anniversary has sort of died away, and now we're sort of in the very in a fallow period, building up to whenever the show comes back to our screens.
0: The afterglow has well and truly worn off, hasn't it?
1: Well, I mean, it's like a party. It's like a raging party on a Saturday night and then you wake up on the Sunday and there's bottles of stuff lying everywhere and there's one poor bloke lying under the couch and it's just, a, you know, a debris-strewn uh, emptiness, really. Here's an honest question. What do fans do in times like this?
0: How do they get themselves occupied and up with their fannishness. Well, they probably had 16 years to uh, perfect this (laughs) particular party trick, didn't they? I don't know. They might, Lord forbid, go and have a look at some other TV shows. I've been smashing my way through uh, series four of uh, Breaking Bad and thoroughly enjoying it.
1: I've been watching the new series of Hannibal, uh, possibly the best uh, TV show on mainstream American television at the moment. When when you look at... um, uh, I think it's CVS who brought out Under the Dome last year an adaptation of uh, Stephen King's book, uh, you know, literal, literal doorstopper, and you realise that that show is absolute crap. And then you look at another um, mainstream American station, I think it's NBC, who uh, who screened Hannibal, and it's just like, it's chalk and cheese all night and day in terms of quality, so it's really surprising that something as good as that, with its subject matter, uh, actually escapes uh, into the mainstream in America, so... But yeah, no, I mean, you're sort of, you, you sort of, you sort I sort of keep up with my telly fantasy watching in between uh, series of Doctor Who. But uh, at the moment, and reading, I've, there's plenty of books I've received. A, not that anyone's particularly interested in this, but I received a, a delivery of about two and a half thousand books of mine that I had in storage up at my parents' place. So uh, I've got the next 30 years to plough through those, basically. So.
0: <laughs> and the next 30 years to build lots of shelves to uh, uh,
1: store them on. I think I'll have a ritual burning every time I finish one of those books, actually, because once it's read, I don't have time to go back to it ever again. So
0: I did fancy actually sitting down the other night and I said to myself, what well, am I watching, a new series episode? And I spent 10, 15 minutes debating which one to watch. And I nearly put a tweet out saying, any, any recommendations? And in the end, I said, oh, I just went to bed. <laughs> I just couldn't think of which one I wanted to uh sort of dip my toe back into. I'm actually thinking of um rewatching the Matt Smith era again with my I'm going to try it with watching it with my 7-year-old uh, son and see um if I can finally uh hook him into uh watching Doctor Who. The indoctrination begins now.
1: Yeah, I'm going to try it. Well, I've got um as part of my reviewing for impulsegamer.com.au, I think. Um, Say it again. Plug it again, uh, Rob. Impulsegamer. Just just Google that. Google answers all your questions, including where this site is. Uh, I've picked up a review copy of the first four seasons on Blu-ray, so I've got the review disc sitting on my desk just to the left of me, uh, and I've actually promised the uh, site owner a review of the of those, so I better actually get stuck into it. So maybe over the next couple of weeks, uh, instead of you know speaking with my wife and children after work, I will instead uh, you know just <laughs> closet myself in <laughs> in the room and just watch them, but. Uh, for my have you
0: started watching them? Uh,
1: I watched uh, I watched uh, I watched Rose, yeah. Um, and I was just looking at some of the behind the scenes material. There was, um, the you know, that, that the uh, iconic, I suppose, imagery of Eccleston running down um, the tunnel with the fireball chasing him, mm. which at the time was you know, really iconic and thrilling. At the uh, just seen now, after it's almost 10 years actually. Um, it seems a little trite and uh, not as not as uh, impressive as I first thought many years ago. But uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I will I will uh, in preparation for some other stuff and actually getting this review done. I will I will watch that that, that Blu-ray set, but uh, just finding the time. <laughs> Right. So we basically uh, tilled uh, or drilled as far down into the dirt as we could with regards to what's been going on. And frankly, nothing's been going on. So I think we should move on to our next segment, the historicals of Doctor Who. We invited uh, comments from our listeners with regards to uh, their opinions on the historical uh, stories uh, within Doctor Who. And we got uh, one letter or email um, uh, from one of our listeners at David Kitchen, who lives here in Melbourne. Uh, David says, I was excited to see from your tweet that this episode you'll be covering those timeless classics, the Doctor Who Historicals. Whilst many fans grew up uh, studying science, I did a history degree at university, and that love of history was first sparked by Doctor Who. You asked listeners to name our three favourites, and I decided on uh, top billing goes to Marco Polo, Reign of Terror comes in second, and The Highlanders uh, uh, brings up the rear there at third place. That said, there are so many very great ones. Uh, Romans, Aztecs, Massacre, and I struggle to think of a classic series historical that I don't enjoy. And even pseudo-historicals such as The Time Meddler and The Time Warrior have a lot to offer. In my opinion, the best historical stories evoke the world as it was at the time and tell a detailed story that is driven by the dialogue in the manner of the BBC classic series or serials such as I, Claudius, or Elizabeth R., Perhaps this is why they stand up so well, even now, and when so many of them are completely missing, apart from the audio. Thanks, Dave, for those comments. There, um, I, I suppose, as we all know, uh, when Doctor Who was originally conceived, it was conceived as uh, a show that would, you know, bridge the gap between grandstand and uh, and a music program. I think it was Jukebox Jury, and um, so there was a, an effort there to link up, you know, a couple of generations, adults and kids, and so the show was seen as being, in in part, you know, being. Quasi-educational for the for the youngsters, so there was that historical aspect to it, where they would you know the doctor uh, and his friends would uh, would you know explore scientific ideas, but also they'd land in you know famous moments in history, and interact with historical characters, and doing so uh, educate you know the 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 viewing audience whilst giving them an exciting story. Uh, The problem being there that the very second story that came along uh, was was the you know the, the first Dalek serial. Which absolutely blew that idea out of the water. So the preponderance of stories began began gradually to tilt towards more science fiction pulpy adventure adventure tales, which you can understand because you know there was there was massive ratings for it. But which which and and within a few years, um, the historicals were gradually phased out. So the last one being the Highlanders until 1982, and in a sense, they've become really a bit of a forgotten part of the show's history. Um, uh, they were gradually replaced by, say, the, the pseudo historicals, like you know, as Dave said, uh, the time meddler and the time warrior, and the fact that a lot of them are missing from the archives doesn't actually help as well. Um, but I mean, even at that st- that, that stage, uh, sort of in the late sixties, they were sort of disparaged or discarded. And I mean, what do you think about that, um, Mark?
0: The problem is that you know the stories like Marco Polo and, and the massacre and the smugglers and the Highlanders, because they were they're either not available for so long, there was uh, no footage, there's no pictures, only audio which was really, really bad Um, I suppose back then the general uh, fan collective just overlooked them, really So I suppose now with uh, Reign of Terror being out on DVD and uh, some of the other stories uh, were released on audio, uh, the Missing Story, under the Missing Stories collection uh, there's been Quite a bit of a reappraisal. I mean, for years, the Highlanders, for, I'd listened to the Highlanders, for example, and the main thing, the main takeaway about the Highlanders for years was it was Jamie's first story. And the same with the Smugglers was, oh, it was Hartnell's penultimate story. The general reception wasn't that great towards them. No, and, and, and as you say,
1: the appraisal at the time, well, sort of when Fender became organised, the appraisal or the collective opinion was that they were no good. I mean, you saw, you know, the gunfighters for years and years and years. Was regarded as being subpar, and true that the ratings at that time weren't flash. But uh, I think, uh, as with everything, with the ability to actually watch something, uh, there's been a, a gradual increase in its um, in the opinions, the high opinions that people have for the, for those for those uh, some of those historical shows. And I mean, even with the emergence of uh, some very good quality audio recordings from uh, Graham Strong and David Holman. Uh, helped with the reappraisal, but I mean, at the time, I mean, initially, stories like Marco Polo rated very highly, and I mean, and you can understand why. For, I mean, just simply looking at the production pictures that survive from it, the colour ones. I mean, there was it was a very lush production design, um, and um, people were clearly interested in it. I mean, you look, as I said, the ratings were averaged between nine and ten million uh, viewers. Uh, I mean, off probably off the back of you know the 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 hubbub about the dialects, but um, people were coming back to it and, and, and watching it and watching in consistent numbers, and and you can see and listening to the audio that a lot of the historicals have a sort of the the language that's used probably because the, the, you know we, we, we sometimes we regard because we're so inculcated with Shakespeare that you think that every time uh, you know if you go back to a his, an historical uh, event or episode they all speak like Shakespearean characters and the language is elevated. You I mean, you listen to, say, The Massacre or even The Myth Makers um, and there's definitely a more... It feels like a more sophisticated a, a drama. The, the language is more sophisticated. Uh, I mean, in The Myth Makers, at least in the first three episodes, the language is more playful, which you don't seem to get in the more science fiction stories, which seem to be more interested in telling an exciting tale and getting the plot and the characters from A to Z mm-hmm. Uh, in a, an in as expeditious a manner as possible, whereas in the historicals there seems to be more effort into, at uh, least in the ones I've named anyway, to give a more richer exp- richer listening and probably viewing experience. I mean, we all know famously the BBC's uh, historical dramas are you know almost second to none, and they, that's been the way the way. It, it has been for the last 40 years, at least.
0: The missing episode CDs for the historicals just worked out so well. It's like a drama play on, on radio.
1: And this is not a criticism, but a lot of those, uh, apart from Marco Polo, which is a journey from one side of Asia to another. Over seven months. Over seven months. Um, there's, there's an element of staginess to them, of theatricality, um, at least of the ones that I, I listened to and watched in preparation for this, which sort of attracts that sort of, that sort of style of writing. And you know, you listen to the to the massacre and and Luca Rotti's and Tosha's script. Finally, it, it, with with um, you know it, the language is sort of you know cod medieval or cod late medieval, uh, and they are able to draw these characters quickly. I mean, there's no sense of not knowing who the people are in the different religious factions in Paris at that time. And um, I mean, I mean, it, taking that point, I mean you. From our perspective in the twenty-first century, looking uh, looking back, you sort of you, you scratch your head and you wonder about you know what what and why people acted in that way, and you uh, the ability of the writers at that uh, you know in the sixties to recreate that culture to an extent. I mean, there's a lot of compression and concision going on with a story like the massacre because you know the the, the background to the the wars of religion that racked, uh, Europe in the uh, in, uh, after the Reformation are <laughs> so complicated that, you know, you could spend hours and hours and hours explaining it, but they're able to um, draw the audience in and, and actually, I mean, it doesn't take much to set it up. I, I suppose the, the writers at that time having a sort of a classical education uh, uh, sort of probably thought, well, the audience understands where we're coming from with this. I mean, everyone, you say Marco Polo when they say a Venetian who traveled to the court of Kublai Khan. So you know that a lot of people at that time Knew the basics. I mean, the massacre. I mean, you know, the the, the 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 slaughter of the wholesale slaughter of you know French Protestants by the Catholics. People know that sort of thing because Protestantism in in, in England is at the center of their their identity. Uh, and you know, before religion began to fall away in the sixties and seventies. Um, so those sort of stories do uh, are able to evoke uh, the, the time and place uh, very simply and very easily.
0: And with the massacre, you, you know what's going to happen, don't you, at the end of it? You're pretty much helpless to stop it, and you can't rewrite history, not one line.
1: To coin a phrase. To coin a
0: phrase. So... That's why I think The Massacre, for me, works particularly well because you know what the end result is.
1: Well, there's a certain attraction or, you know, it's it's that driving past an accident and slowing down to watch. There's a certain grim attraction to watching the inevitable unfold in front of your eyes. Hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, h- history has sometimes been described as a juggernaut that, you you know, you'd need to either run with it or you'll be crushed underneath its wheels. And, uh, and it's the same with, you know, uh, doctor Who, I suppose. Well, I mean, famously in the Aztecs, the Doctor, you know, tells Barbara that, as you said, she can't change history, not one bit of it. Uh, and in in, a, in in some sense, the Doctor and his companions are peripheral to the events that they that uh, they found themselves part of. Again, the massacre, the, the the massacre of Saint Bartholomew's Day is going to happen regardless of what the Doctor and Stephen try and do about it, or who they try to save. And all these characters are going to be intertwined. ...in, you know, a slaughter. And um, it's the same with The Myth Makers, uh, where we all know from our reading of, you know, kids' books with uh, Greek Greek myths and legends... ...that Troy is going to be, you know, sacked. The people are going to be slaughtered. And those who aren't slaughtered are going to be, you know, sold into slavery across, uh, across the Mediterranean. And there's a... Even though, you know, The Myth Makers is a bit of a comedy uh, for the first three and a bit episodes pretty soon the blood is running in the gutters and, you know, people are running around screaming and getting slaughtered by the Greeks. And, again, the Stephen and the Doctor and Vicky are peripheral a lot. I mean, I mean, the Doctor gives the idea for the horse and all that sort of thing, but all the Doctor is doing is engaging with history and becoming part of it with his idea. Everyone forgets about the Doctor, but they know about Odysseus and he's coming up with the idea of the Trojan horse. It's just history has its own inevitability, and I think the show's writers at that stage... Knew and understood that, and uh, I think they got some mileage out of that as well.
0: I suppose with stories like the Smugglers, there's actually not a historical event in which to sort of tie it back to, um, where you know, as I said, the massacre and the Myth Makers, where you know what's actually going to happen. So um, when I was listening to the Smugglers, was a very, it was a very good, uh, I suppose, uh, adventure. If the Doctor and Ben and Polly weren't there, uh, things would have kept on going the way they were.
1: Well, I think that's right. I think I mean, in all the, these historical events, or these pure historicals that we watch anyway. The events would have happened regardless. Um, no amount of attempts to intervene, like Barbara does, uh, would have helped or anything like that. Um, and um, I mean, later on, when the, the pseudo historicals come along, which we'll touch on later, uh, there is that there is that element of uh, the the outside trying to intervene in in, in human history and change things, uh, often for the for the worse. But at that time, I mean, and your point about the smugglers being a relatively small scale story, I mean, apart from say Marco Polo, which, as you said, took uh, over, I mean, it covered uh, over seven months. Um, a lot of these uh, historical stories take place over a matter of a couple of days. I mean, the massacre takes place over four days. The gunfighters is effectively, I think, a day. Uh, certainly the, the the battle of the OK Corral, the shootout of the OK Corral was, you know, you know, probably less than 20 minutes in in real time. Uh, and something like uh the mythmakers is the last few the last few days of the trojan war one thing i do i mean the historicals you the, the, i mean they're obviously giving us a version of history um in our know, shorthand version of, version of history it's but as we as the you know the the historicals progressed they went from something straight like marco polo or the aztecs or the reign of terror then they began to st- began starting to experiment with the form. So you came to The Myth Makers, and it basically is an out-and-out, well, not an out-and-out comedy, but it is it is wryly amusing, and there's a lot of, you know, droll commentary, and the, the characters not only poke fun at each other, I um, mean, Menelus and Agamemnon's uh, uh, dinner together where they sort of stick the knife into one another, or uh, Pr- Priam's uh, treatment of his own son, uh, I think it was Paris, uh, sort of <laughs> undercuts the drama a little bit, um, before the blood starts flowing in episode 4 but i mean not only is it a comedy but it's also a, i suppose a, a work of metafiction because as far as anyone knows the iliad that homer you know wrote down a lot of speculation but uh, there's a general belief out there that they're based on oral orally told stories and they they are myths and legends there's, there's no history there there may have been a conflict in asia minor at that time with a you know a small town or a small city called troy but effectively, as we know it today, it is—it's a story. So the Doctor and, and Stephen and Vicky materialize into a story, much like the Doctor and Jamie and um, and Zoe appear in you know in the the, the, the land of the uh, of the mine robber. So they become part of a story, and not only do they become part of a story, but Vicky takes on the persona of someone else and becomes part of that story even further, and is left behind in a fictional reality which is, you know, is a little bit mind-bending when you think about it. Um and and even that with the the story of Troilus and, and Cressida, that has nothing to do with um with the fall of Troy. That's actually a medieval creation that Shakespeare picked up. There's a Shakespearean play Troilus and, and, and Cressida. So they were willing to um I mean they they came back to some more serious dramatic stuff obviously with the Highlanders, which which deals with some very heavy heavy themes, you know, the, the suppression of the, the, the clans and, and people being basically sold off to uh, the Caribbean. So, um, but there was a willingness, I suppose, to uh, experiment with the form to a certain extent before they basically wholesale abandoned it after nineteen sixty seven.
0: 667 around that time? Yes, that's right. What works better then? We'll go back to the, say, for example, the Romans, where it's, uh, I suppose, it's a bit of a romp, isn't it? Does something like the Marco Polo, where it's sort of straight drama, does that work a lot better than, say, what was... Uh, portrayed in, in the Romans and the mythmakers.
1: Oh Well, I suppose as long as the story is entertaining and the depiction is entertaining, uh, it doesn't really matter which which works, as long as you find it, you know, entertaining. I mean, we all know... That I don't think there's any chance of anyone thinking that Nero is a cuddly figure after watching the Romans. I mean, you know, he was a blood-crazed tyrant who got his just desserts. Um, and, you know, we I don't think that anyone thinks that, say uh the comedy events in the trojan war you know will do anything to mask the essential horror of a city-state being you know slaughtered and sold sold into into slavery so i mean i i mean my preference is 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 for a straight drama but i was i was really entertained by what i heard in the Mythmakers, uh and and i was as equally entertained as what i heard in in the massacre and i'm you know I'm very keen to see, if the story is actually ever returned, how, how it's actually depicted on the screen. I mean, what, what, what approach did you find that, uh, that you enjoyed more? I
0: actually preferred the straight drama. Uh, for example, the Aztecs and, and Marco Polo. I mean, the Romans is great, but I do find some of the comedy in that s- a slightly detracting. But uh, that, that's how I felt about it, really. Then again, it gives you, I suppose, a, a very template in which to work with. If they kept doing straight dramas and historicals all the way down the line. I think they would have been definitely curtailed before the Highlanders. I suppose,
1: um, I mean, if you read blogs like Phil Sandifer, who does TARDIS Eruditorium, where he talks about Doctor Who in in his first four or five years as essentially an experiment in storytelling, and um, at some point they finally settled down to what they wanted to, to do when they locked themselves into that action-adventure uh, format. Uh, but before that, th- there was a whole wide range of experimentation, not only with the science fiction stuff. I mean, there was allegorical t- stories, uh, and there was just straight up action stories. But I mean, you see, you see that shown in in the in the historicals. And by the, t- w- w- I mean, the historicals, as we've discussed, dr- dramatic or comedic or a mixture of both. And then they decided to, to abandon them when they when you know the new production team. I think it was uh, Jerry Davis and Ennis Lloyd decided to, to embrace. The sort of the more pulpier science fiction aspects of the show, uh, for, well, basically for ratings, I suppose, and then probably their own inclination. Uh, but they did, I mean, retain some of that histo- the, the historical aspect because um, we had we saw the the rise of the pseudo historical.
0: I mean, if you go back to the Highlanders, um, what I didn't appreciate was uh, during you know, those four episodes, the the Doctor he dresses up as various characters. He he, he drags up before Pertwee did in the Green Death. He's impersonating a German uh, officer or a doctor. Mm-hmm. And I
1: suppose some of that experimentation that you see in the Highlanders is down basically to Trout and feeling his feeling himself out in the role effectively.
0: Also, one thing I did take away from both the smugglers and the, and the Highlanders was how strong a character Polly was. We discussed in our last podcast the Moon Basin, the Moon Basin, and, and, and underwater Menace. She sort of goes back towards a screamer, but in those two stories, she was extremely, I thought, well characterised.
1: Maybe just a function of of the historical, where the more fantastical elements can sort of sideline a character, but where in a, in a science fiction one, but whereas in a historical one, it's everyone gets down into the nitty gritty and and has, a, and has a proper function. You know, it's it's less about the ideas of a science fiction story and more about the relationships between the different characters in an in historical. Um, whether that's right or, or not, I'm not quite sure, but I mean, it just, sometimes it feels like that. Now, I mean, looking at the, uh, looking at the historicals, I mean, my, my, my takeaway from just watching and listening to them is that they basically, I mean, the history is shown in these, in some of these stories is basically a very grim experience. and The people who were living in the past, they did, I mean, you know, they had the same sort of base, themes in their lives it was survival it was prosperity but essentially the history, the, the history that we are shown depicts a past that's often people by peop, people by people with different values and ideas that would basically horrify uh modern people today i mean you know you, as we discussed before the highlanders the suppression of the clans and the you know essentially the sending into slavery of the scots uh the, the, the myth makers again i mentioned it before about people being sold into slavery and slaughtered uh, the Reign of Terror, where, you know, two aristocrats are basically hunted down like wild animals by, you know, a mob wearing, you know, uniforms, military uniforms and basically shot out of hand for their own entertainment. I mean, we live in a more soft age and to sort of to, to look back at that and look at back at, in some instances, the sort of unflinching depiction of that sort of thing just underscores how... had. How, how much the same we are? I mean, you can look at the conflict in Syria and go, well, nothing about human nature really changed, but how different we are as well, that, um, especially to a sort of a first world perspective. And it's just interesting to see how in the 60s um, that, they, they sort of showed that sort of thing. And they weren't, you know, I mean, I suppose it's a generation that came up through World War II and the horrors of that. And they were pro- quite, I mean, you know, the blood doesn't run freely in Doctor Who. Of course we know that, but people die and people die horribly. Um, you know, there, I mean, I was really struck by the opening episode of The Reign of Terror and one of the, the aristocrats who's on the run. And he, you know, he's basically suffering from what we would call today post-traumatic stress disorder. And he goes to pieces in the room and then runs out, you know, just bolts. He's seen his family guillotined, his sister guillotined. He runs out and he sort of throws himself essentially at the mercy, knowing full well he's going to be going to be killed in the is, And it's... Uh, you know they—they they don't. I suppose the the writers and the producers didn't treat kids uh, tr- treat the audience like children, effectively, because you know the, the Reign of Terror was it got the, it got its name for you know for for what it was, not for because it was an idle idle title. But um, yeah, it's just very interesting to see that. And I don't know how I'm not quite sure how. I mean, you know, being out of school for twenty or twenty five years, I'm not quite sure how history is, is taught these days in in, in secondary schools um whether you know the, the 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 whether the past is a different country or whether the people who lived in the past are just basically like us but wore different clothes and i'm not quite sure how kids today would view you know a show like Doctor Who back in the 60s, how it was depicting people who lived in the past. Because I think it would be a very different and alienating experience for these kids today.
0: The grim fates at the end of a lot of the stories, um, you know, reinforce the facts that history happens regardless of any interference from the outside. And reinforces the Doctor's point that in the Aztecs you can't rewrite history, not one line. Well, exactly. Uh, but And the Aztecs is a pretty conserva-
1: conservative story when you think about it, because the Doctor is essentially arguing that you... The consequences of attempting to overthrow the Aztec society um, would be would be worse would be worse than the evil that Barbara is trying to remedy because the whole and this is getting into the fiction of the story but the whole fabric of time would basically collapse if you were to go around and do all that. History is history because it's already happened, and for Barbara to think of herself as arrogantly think of herself as you know in a position to be able to change that is just is just foolhardy for her you know to to undertake. Um, and I suppose, in a sense, sometimes the historical stories, I mean, I, I had this thought after you know, thinking about it, um, I mean, Aztecs is, is conservative also in the sense that it's a show, it's a story that's done in the early 60s when a time of change was about to, or beginning to sweep through, you know, through our, you know Western civilization or Western culture where the old certainties of the past had begun to be undermined and, and, and the, the rising generation had a whole new host of ideas. That uh, that uh, they wanted to you know bring into the world and you know they weren't happy with 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 uh, with what was going to be handed to them they wanted to change everything and I suppose that a little bit of that is mirrored in what Barbara is trying to do is trying to change civilization for what she sees to be the better but you know the the consequences of that could be you know terrible if if she's able to you know shift history from its from its track which she's clearly not able to do so
0: and the resistance for what she's trying to change and how they go about stopping what she's trying to do as well they're happy to go on their course that they've been going on for years and sacrificing and and everything like that i think what, what, a lot of
1: the progressive elements of society f- fail to realize is that you know traditions are traditions because they're you know they're well worn and they're well respected and if you look at the aztecs i mean look we would we would run screaming from what they did to, the, to each other and to the people who they captured and butchered we would run, but that was as normal as getting up in the morning and putting on your shoes. Uh, it uh, and again, you, you you know, the idea that you can go into another culture and attempt to shake it up to you know, in air quotes, improve it is is at least shown in, in in the Aztecs to be a foolhardy venture.
0: You got modern day equivalents of that happening now,
1: and it's not only you know governments going to other countries and you know attempting to improve them; it's no. governments doing it to their own people. Um, I mean, you know, you see changes of regular changes of government within a hist- you know, within a Western setting and different sides of the political spectrum come along and try and change things for the, for the better. Um, and, you know, you, you sometimes wonder uh, the, it, the end result basically really, you know, isn't going to change things. Uh, society will change itself and not have anything imposed on it for, by an outside factor like Barbara is attempting to do. But I mean, if you think about the massacre where it's Catholics versus Protestants. Um, which you know we, we had echoes of that as, as as far down as the 60s here in Australia with um, you know the, the Protestants holding the reins of power and the Catholics sort of being not marginalised but sort of being uh, treated as uh, not se- well not second class citizens I suppose I mean that all changed but uh, the Protestants were the ruling ruling caste here in Australia and uh, uh, gradually as as immigrants waves of immigrants came in that changed but you you look you look at the 60s at the height of the Cold War and it's communists versus capitalists and you think well. Is anyone in the writing team there trying to depict something similar, you know, using France as a as a metaphor or an allegory for that sort of thing—the Catholics being, I don't know, the Communists and the Protestants being, perhaps the capitalists or vice versa—and you know, a warning that if you can't get on, if you can't engage with different sides uh, in our modern in, in the modern day, back in the '60s, that the blood will run as freely uh, across the globe uh, in the '60s as it did in uh, in, in the 16th century. Um, so, I mean, there's, uh, there's all these different things that you can pull out of uh, stories like this. It's, uh, once again, Doctor Who sometimes reveals itself not to be merely a simple kid's show, but, uh, or for the educated teenager, but also something that has a, a deeper meaning if you're willing to look there and possibly overanalyse it like I've just done. <laughs>
0: So after the Highlanders, there was uh, no other historical story until 1982's The Black Orchid. Would, would a pure historical story work today with in the, in the new series?
1: There's no reason why it couldn't, I suppose. it just, It's just whether the, the production team of the day uh, has the will to do it, uh, or the interest even, I suppose, because, I mean, uh, the BBC is still capable of throwing up, uh, you know, a wonderful costume drama um, so there's no there's no real reason why you wouldn't want to do it. And I mean, given the interest in shows like, say, Downton Abbey, uh, which is racking in, you know, great ratings, the the, the, the constant, uh, you know, re- depiction or redepiction of, say, um, Pride and Prejudice. I mean, there's always that interest. I mean, and, and of course, going back to, you know, the dramas of World War War Two or Foyle's War. There's always something. Um, there's always. A, there's a, there will always be an audience for that sort of thing, especially with with regards to aspects of British history. So I'm 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 puzzled as to why no one, uh, you know, under Russell T Davies or, or Stephen Moffat has 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 wanted to do an historical because there's clearly this there's, there's an audience out there for it, um, and I think it would work. It's worked well in the past, and I can't see why it wouldn't work well today. Is it just a lack of will, an unwillingness to touch, you know, to, to to set a story in perhaps a tricky part of history because I I can't really see any good reason why they haven't tried it.
0: I mean, I suppose the closest they came to was um, one with Agatha Christie and what was that called? The
1: Unicorn and the
0: Wasp. But I would love to see a, a pure historical. They think, well, the kids aren't going to get it. Or, or the audience aren't just going to buy a pure historical story they need some pseudoscience thrown in which I think is a shame because I'd love to see a pure historical story
1: I think they're selling their audience short
0: Yeah, I think so too, yeah, exactly
1: but I mean, there's, like we said, there's there's clearly an interest in that sort of thing in other shows um, and, you know, if written well and, you know, we, we know that, that they can get good actors in and all that sort of thing so, it's, I mean, I know we're going around and around the topic as to why they're not doing it but it's just hard to understand why they haven't done it um, mm. And try and grasp the, uh, a particular reason. I mean, sh- I mean, they 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 come they do the his, pseudo historical again and again. I mean, the Crimson Horror was one example. Even something as as recent as uh, as Cold War, which which looks into the early eighties, which oddly enough, you know, having grown up during that period to suddenly look back and see it's it, 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 it's it's history and it's depicted as history as such in Doctor Who, um, is is a bit jarring. But mm. um, they always. I I think they think that um, the show has to have... The show is known for it. It has that sort of weirdness or that alien factor. um, And they have to keep on going down that path. And it's that juxtaposition between what we know to be history and an insertion of an alien uh, into it that gives that frisson that the audience uh, enjoys and keeps on coming back for more. But I think injecting the Doctor into a known set of historical events... And the you know again as we as we mentioned in the massacre and the myth makers you know there's a terrible end coming to these set of characters at the in, in the last episode and it would be interesting to see how the Doctor would react to that and how his companions who don't have that high level view that the Doctor does would react to him effectively standing by and letting history go you know go go through um, we we saw you know in Let's Kill Hitler. Um, Hitler getting punched in the face but you know I and that that's a really trite look at a at a terrible point in 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 world history and and it would I think it would have been much more better and much more dramatically satisfying if they had done something else with that material that a depicted the true horror of all the horror of what was going on in a sort of safe seven o'clock time slot but you know the, the just the, the the utter tragedy that these set of characters would face up against the, you know the the unstoppable Nazis at that point, so um but yeah they they just they, they don't want to do it they want to go you know they want to go down the weird and wonderful route and it I think the show is a little bit poorer for it.
0: We'll go back to fires of Pompeii again. you saw a bit of that reaction where the doctor won't rescue Peter Capaldi's family and Donna's reaction to that, and then he is swayed uh, to rewrite history and save them. Well, I mean, something like Cold War would have been fantastic as just
1: as, as as a Cold War thriller, without the the need to throw in you know the ice warriors to effectively throw them away. This, that story, I think, is 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 the poorer for it because the the the, the, the production crew said, let's do something in the early eighties during you know the the height of the Cold War, and so they're looking around, they're going, but we need a monster. And I think that sells the audience short, and it sells the format of the show short. They keep on short. They keep on saying that the show is infinitely, you know, uh, there's an infinite variety of stories that we can tell, you know, etc. etc. But really, they've set themselves uh, a narrow track to follow, and. um, and uh it's to the show's loss, I think
0: well, they need to get back onto a different track, try something else, and maybe they will I mean they do the,
1: the pseudo historical reasonably well and I mean and as we you know we'll wind it back to the sixties I mean the time Meddler, I think is one of those important uh way stations in the show's history where the the, the we 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 get uh, an indication of where the show's going to actually go in in the future where uh, there's a historical element you know Battle of Hastings. But there's there's the alien element where you know the time meddler is attempting sh- to change history for what he regards as being the better or for, for for profit or whatever, whatever his real motivation is. But um, and that shone a, a light as to where the show was going to go from from that point on. And I mean, there's no doubting it that the pseudo historical is very popular. I mean, some of my favourite stories like the horror of Fang Rock or um, or the Talons of Wang Chiang, they they have that element there. And 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 when all the elements come together. As in, as in horror, which is one of my sort of top ten. If we're going to put put a list together, top ten stories, it works fantastically well. Because when you think about it, I mean, the horror of Fang Rock—if it was just you know one of the people in the lighthouse knifing the other inhabitants—would be like any other story you'd got with with a you know sociopath willing to kill people around him. But when you inject the routine, um, you know, picking people off, examining them, and then you know using the rock as a sort of a bridgehead for an alien invasion, um, it. That juxtaposition between the two elements really complement each other, and um, and it works really well. And it it raises the story from being a mere murder mystery to something that really engages you and becomes almost frightening. Because you know, serial killers and murderers are a dime a dozen on television, but when the murders are done uh, as they're shown in the horror of Fang Rock and the atmosphere is as heightened as it is that way, I think it works wonderfully well.
0: Stories like The Visitation and even Mark of the Rani, but they don't really touch on The Visitation, for example, Part 4, it's revealed at Pudding Lane with a great file under Tara are the cause of that, and Mark of the Rani t- touches on well George Stevenson and, and the rocket, but they're not really, in, in terms of Mark of the Rani, it's not really a, a major plot point, is it? It's just like he is he happens to be there at the same time as the Master and the Rani's machinations.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a coincidence.
0: Yes, exactly. And and
1: and the events in Pudding Lane are almost tacked on as are just an almost have a tacked on feel. Mm. That really adds nothing to the story. I mean, the 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 the, the could have been anywhere. You know, the pterodactyls could have got their comeuppance anywhere. And so I would thought that it would be clever to have them, um, you know, as the reason for the burning of burning of uh, the Great Fire of London. Um, so I mean, I, I, that sort of thing is sort of almost grafted onto the onto the onto the main story as an afterthought. Whereas in a lot of the better historicals um that that that's not the case that the events being depicted are the central events and they're they're all the more interesting for it time warrior is is clearly you know the the uh, one of the one of the finer examples of, of that sort of thing um where again you have an alien come down and inserts himself into events and it's up to the doctor to save the day and 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 to save history because you know as he as he says the idea of uh of uh, 10th or 11th century people with atomic grenades i think that's in the novelization is one that fills him with horror so <laughs> um, yeah but i mean again it's that's just that, that's where the production crew was leading the show there it was it's you know i suppose you could have had uh, an interesting story set in that time frame but the production crew decided to go down that path of uh, of inserting an alien and 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 taking it from there. I mean the idea of the time meddler where time is a, is a mutable thing where it can actually be changed by outside intervention is a direct contradiction to what we discussed before about the Aztecs where the doctor says you can't you can't change you can't change time it's it's it, it's it's impossible you shouldn't shouldn't try to do it because the consequences are, are grave where time meddler basically says well no you know there are things that we can do and the the idea that the battle of hastings the result can be reversed that uh that that the King Harold actually wins and doesn't die, it's not a small change because you know the failure of the Norman conquest uh, would represent a massive change in European history but um, the uh, from that point on the show uh, changed from the more conservative viewpoint that you can't change history to a more welcoming uh, depiction of that, and you know instead of history not being able to be changed, history now can be changed. And the doctor becomes, in effect, a protector of you know the timeline, so to speak, mm. and that her Earth history um, needs to go on its own course, and any attempts to change it is something to be deplored and and stopped.
0: Same with the King's demons, really. Well, exactly the, with the Magna Carta signing, uh, very similar situation. Yeah, except the time meddler had a much better villain
1: with a bit probably better facial hair. Exactly. Well, least it wasn't glued on. Wish we. <laughs> Which we can all applaud.
0: That is a terrible performance and a really bad story.
1: Was Anthony was Anthony only just phoning that one in? Was he?
0: I think his beard was certainly phoning it in, and then Chameleon didn't help either.
1: Poor Chameleon.
0: I mean, uh,
1: as always, the the show aims high, I suppose, but you know, uh, it just didn't have the materials, or the time, or the money to to achieve its its high ideals. <laughs> on this before where my crazy theory that say uh, the massacre is a is an allegory for the you know the cold War um, would would uh, would a historical today touch on you know be a metaphor for current events sorry a period in history and use that to explain confront depict what is happening in, in our modern world today would the, would the Would the production team be brave enough to do
0: that? I think they would very subtly, a bit like um, Terence sticks and Barrett were doing with the Paladon stories in terms of uh, I suppose trying to tie it back to the uk joining a common market dress it full on they're going to cop a lot of flack for it for whatever topic it is
1: I think they're content when they do use his, his, history in the show they're content to use safe periods in history where mm. there's there's very little Chance of offending anyone. So, for instance, uh, the Stephen Moffat two-parter uh, in, in in Eccleston's first series is, you know, the, the, the depiction of Britain in the early stages of World War Two, the Blitz. You know, the the the, the best of the best, uh, you know, uh, flying against the, the the Luftwaffe, the stolid British citizenry, you know, you know, going into their into their uh, bunkers in the backyard and and surviving the Blitz, and then you know, the, the tide turning later on. I, you know, you wouldn't think that they, they, they'd look to uh, confront or deal with controversial historical themes. I mean, I don't think they're going to go anywhere near, say, for instance, uh, the troubles in in Ireland uh, or in, in Northern Ireland. They wouldn't. I mean, and I suppose, in a sense, I mean, we're throwing up a straw man argument there. The show isn't meant to be that sort of thing. But um, you know, you you sort of you need to have a bit of meat on the bone. You in, in a sense, you can't be. Uh, airy fairy, or, or throw up fairy floss for the for the people to consume. You need to give a bit of, of weight to what you're doing, I suppose. But mm. whether whether they whether they're brave enough for, to, to do that, because there's, there's plenty going on uh, at the, at the moment that you know you could you could talk about in a roundabout sort of way by looking looking to the past to discuss it. I mean, the Crusades uh, has as much rel, rel, resonance now. Uh, as it did, you know, the 12th century, as, as as it does today, I suppose, with regards to you know uh, Western and, and and Muslim relations. So, um, but that's probably a bit too touchy at the moment. So,
0: what's your favourite pseudo historical story that the series has done?
1: Uh, well, I mean, you can't get past the epic splendour of Talons of Wing Chiang Um hmm. It, I mean, the, the Victorian era, uh, Doctor Who uh, owes a great deal to the Victorian era because it's it's given them. A great deal of tropes to plunder uh, in terms of you know to to, to build up storylines and and, and and stories. I mean you know you, you can see it on the on the screen there with Talons of Wing Shiang where it's um you know the the, the Ripper mythos, uh, the Sherlock Holmes mythos, uh, you know all, all readily plundered uh, by, by Robert Holmes to you know to create a, a fantastic a cracking story. Um, my personal favorite I suppose of all all of them is The Horror of Fang Rock because it's that claustrophobic horror story uh, set you know I suppose in the Edwardian era but I mean it could have been set at any time really uh, and you would still have re- received the same effect but I think it's the lack of ability of the people in that time to effectively confront the Rutan which they may have been able to do with modern weaponry or means or whatever that, that, that like that they're essentially helpless against a far superior foe uh, that lends it for me um, a great deal of its strength and, you know, memorability. Really, uh, it's mm. a very memorable story. It's, it's one of those things that's always been it, it, been with me ever since I watched it back in the seventies. Mm. What about you? What, what's your favourite pseudo-historical?
0: I still like the Time Meddler. I, I think it contains everything for me uh, in the pseudo-historical story that I'm looking for. But also, um, there's, a, there's got you quite a few examples you can look at. Is Muscom and Dragora, for example I mean we sort of mentioned Visitation even though I sort of said oh, it's only a, a very scant uh, tie in back to a, a historical event I mean there's,
1: there's stories like the Pyramids of Mars which yeah. again that could have been set anywhere I suppose but I mean it owes a lot of its flavour to the setting hmm. um, and I suppose I mean if it had been set in a modern day it would lose a little bit of its flavour it just becomes a bit of a, a thriller run around but there's, a, there's an extra element there of, you know, I mean, people, uh, the, the locals, as it were, are effectively helpless against Sutex, Sutex uh, machinations and, you know, the way the mummies are lumbering around. I mean, a good grenade, la- <laughs> grenade launcher would have taken one of those out, but that, that's not available to them in the Back early, then. Back then, yeah. 100 years ago. Um, so there's that extra element that's added there where they're effectively helpless against. Um, a far superior force, and I, mean, I, I, I suppose the the, the the color and the clothing and the, the architecture, it it all adds something to the story. It just it just that there's that there's that setting that um, that that evokes uh, a, a long lost world to us now. I mean, we're we're too young to have to say that it's nostalgia. But I think we're keyed in enough to the tropes of those sort of stories and, and, and that time, the Victoriana, the Edwardiana of, of that era, that it, it still appeals to us as a, as a viewer. And of course, I mean, the, the whole Hammer Horror thing where everything seems to be set, you know, 60, 50 or 60 years beforehand, uh, or feels like it anyway. Uh, and even when it's set in the so-called modern day in the, in the 50s and 60s, um there's enough of a distance between now and then for us to sort of feel that feel that sort of nostalgic sense
0: that's why series like life on Mars worked well for me from both a child of the 70s and the eighties there is uh there, there is that aspect
1: to it I mean what would you prefer um what would you take over one over the other would you take a the best of a historical or a best of a pseudo historical which would you prefer to watch
0: I probably would watch a uh, historical only because as I said before that this got into a trap of just doing pseudo-historicals for so as a change I'd love to see a pure historical story and see how they do it
1: what about you? well just I think for the sheer novelty of it I would prefer to see a, a pure historical and a I, 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 I common complaint and I think um, David mentioned this, mentions it later in his uh, in his email that even when we've had pseudo-historicals in the modern show the production team has has in his, his eyes anyway made, made the mistake of equating uh, people today with people three or four hundred years ago, that they were effectively the same. We have the same ideas, the same ideals, the same motivations. When, I think deep down, as we mentioned earlier on, people today uh, have a different outlook to people of yesteryear. Um, and I don't think the production crew has really picked up on that because, you know, uh, I, th- I think it's Rose makes friends with a, a serving girl in um in the in the uh, the Mark story of the, of the Unquiet Dead, where I you know you'd not necessarily think that um, you know a girl of that of her station would dare to speak casually to someone of you know apparently Rose's station, even though effectively they come from basically the same the same uh, working class circles. But there's that sort of it, it you you wouldn't think that would happen, but you know there's in they're equating her. Uh, the serving girl with Rose, where I don't think that would be a valid thing today.
0: Another reason to uh, go back and do a pure historical story is so we don't have to say that uh, Black Orchid was the last example of it.
1: Uh, Did you say Black Orchid or Black Orchid? Blah Orchid. (laughs) Yeah, it is a bit blah, isn't it?
0: so all that is is Adric stuffing his mouth with food and uh, people dancing on very wet uh, mansion grounds. Even though they say it's a historical... There's a touch of pseudo-historical when the local police force all waltz into the TARDIS and say, you know, "Call Blimey, whatever," and off they go back to the house.
1: Well, that's true. That's true. And even the depiction of the man who's horribly disfigured—he's less a person and more a monster. Yeah, I, I think. And it—the the, the historical setting sort of somehow becomes less believable mm. because he's effectively, you know, stalking through the house, I suppose, and he's—he's he's, he's this mystery locked in, the, locked away, um, and he's less. There's less a... Well, maybe be on betraying the fact that I haven't watched it in years, but there's less a, a human tragedy going on there and more a monstrous thing that most of us really couldn't relate to. Mm. But, um, yeah, and, and apart from the fact that the story is not, much, not up to much anyway, um, it doesn't help it in the historical stakes. So, Mark, having spoken about the historicals, it seems reasonably clear to me that they're essentially a forgotten part of the history of, of Doctor Who, I mean, it was a long time ago that they were screened. It was only for effectively for three or four years, but I think that hopefully we've shown that they've been uh, they are an important part of the show's early history. And even though the production team abandoned them um, in the early Trouton era, that's not to say that they had no inherent value in and of themselves. I think at the very least uh, they were always entertaining, and. For a lot of the audience, I think they would have been a window onto a onto a past that at the very least would have inspired them perhaps to go and uh, go and do some research of their own. I know having listened to the massacre, I went on a, an absolute rabbit uh, I went in a rabbit hole that didn't seem to stop reading about you know the Reformation, the wars of religion across Europe uh, made me dig up a couple of books that I'd bought you know a number of years ago. Uh, and of course, listening to The Myth Makers, I you know, found myself uh, reading about the Iliad again and reminiscing about um, a lot of the Greek myths and legends that obsessed me when I was you know, much, much younger than I am today. So, uh, whereas uh, a science fiction adventure is an exciting, can be an exciting thing, and in and of itself, they have value because they can be, like, you know, like a number of stories, be allegories on our da- da- normal day-to-day lives. Uh, the 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 historicals um, offered a, a window onto a past that you know had, had, had long 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 gone.
0: It was acknowledged how important they were because for the uh, doctors uh, revisited series that screened last year, for Hartnell's example, they showed the Aztecs as a uh, you know as an example of a historical story well, one that existed fully, to show how these uh, dramas uh, work. And and as you said, hopefully some of the kids who watched it would have gone off to Wikipedia or whatever and read all about it. Well, hopefully not on Wikipedia, but uh, some other more reputable sources.
1: It's called a library. We would hope that uh, in the near future, especially with a new doctor who uh, appears to be a... Uh, a throwback, a little bit to you know the, the previous earlier eras of, the, of Doctor Who. That the production team, uh, particularly Stephen Moffat, will be brave enough to grasp the nettle and perhaps bring back you know at least one you know pure historical story. Because uh, I think the show would benefit from it. It just adds that extra element
0: in. So Stephen, be brave. Brave heart, Stephen. Brave heart.
1: And uh, just before we wrap it up, uh, just a few tweets from uh, our loyal listeners. Mark, I believe you have the list there.
0: We have uh, a couple of tweets. Uh, The Hand of Fear, uh, hello to you in your Tupperware box. Really enjoying the podcast, speaking as a 44-year-old Australian uh, male fan whose earliest TV memory is Lynx removing his helmet. So there's
1: a reasonable chance that uh, The Hand of Fear and myself are watching the same episode on the same day.
0: You might have been, yes. So yes. There's, there's
1: echoes down the years that uh, you know it reaches today.
0: Berta JKD. Uh, I tweeted a while back for our last cast saying how I was uh, knee deep in the edit and it'll be uh, it'll be out shortly. He uh, he responded back uh, saying I expect a full AFL preview for making his way. Now I know Radio Free Scaro talk about uh, ice hockey a bit, so I'm more than happy to uh, have a quick chat about the AFL season. What about you, Rob?
1: Uh, well, the world's longest first round is just finishing this evening. <laughs> Come on. I mean, this is not going to mean anything to anyone outside Australia and even the northern states of Australia. But uh, the the Australian Football League uh, has just kicked off. Aussie rules, as some of you in America would probably call it. Or is it Aussie rules?
0: Aussie rules.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's the usual off-field shenanigans that we won't talk about for fear of legal retribution. Uh, And then there's also the on-field thing that that fuels everything else. But the first season, the first round of the 2014 season is about to finish. And uh, my team copped a hiding on Friday night. Uh, so much for being top four finishes in North Melbourne. It's not going to happen. But, uh, yes, that'll be uh, consuming my interest anyway during the year uh, as the winter months roll around and uh, we all freeze uh, watching the football.
0: My team, Richmond, the Richmond Tigers, have uh, lost their opening round <laughs> as well. So... <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, once again, Richmond lives down to its
0: reputation of being a bunch of also The only reason I, uh, I I barrack for Richmond or support Richmond is um, when we're about to move over, uh, Richmond are playing in the 1980 Grand Final, which was screened uh, on the BBC, I think it was. So my dad sat me down and said, you better watch this and get to grips with the game. I had no bloody idea. only thing I knew was that Richmond won the 1980 Grand Final. So I arrived in Australia and said, I better support this team because obviously... They are winners.
1: I fear, Mark, that uh, you'll be well <laughs> over a hundred by the time Richmond <laughs> matches that
0: uh, that feat. We'll get some more missing episode recoveries before uh, Richmond wins another premiership. That's the
1: only way we're able to uh, tie in uh, the AFL to Doctor Who at this stage.
0: Look, if the season turns out well, you'll hear our voices uh, getting more excited. If it doesn't, our voices will get more despondent. So. um Stay tuned, as they say. Stay tuned. Expect
1: more unfathomable discussion about the AFL as the season rolls around. There's 22 uh, rounds of it, people, so, you know. Strap yourselves in. Yes, exactly. Strap yourselves in. Yeah, so thank you to Bernard and The Hand of Fear. Uh, for your comments. Uh, we love a good tweet and uh, we, we particularly enjoy those. So, uh, Mark, uh, I think we covered what we've been doing with regards to uh, watching and listening and reading Doctor Who at the, at the beginning, so it's probably
0: time to wind this one up. But before we go, we've actually got a competition. Now, we tried a competition a couple of weeks ago with our uh, Wilderness Years. Not much responses, actually, to be honest. So we're going to make it really easy for you. So we've actually got two copies of the uh, top-selling uh, classic DVD of all time, uh, Doctor Who range DVD. That is fifteen
1: thousand uh, discs or sold in the first week, apparently, which sent it rocketing to the top of the charts. Uh, if ever there was uh, a reason to get an announcement of you know any more missing episodes returned sooner rather than later, it has to be the money factor. You, you know, get get them. If look, it's a personal appeal to Phil Morris. The lack of any, you know, definitive denial from the BBC or from your organisation TIEA, only lends credence to the possible f- belief or possible fact that you are sitting on more episodes. You have your reasons. I understand that, but the sooner that is announced, the sooner elements of fandom will stop tearing at each other and embrace one another in a in a in a in a, in a kumbaya mantra, a brotherhood of love. Get those episodes back to the BBC so we can all go and spend our hard-earned money and line your pockets and reimburse you for your hard-earned work uh, out there in the field. Because, you know, at the moment, people are going around and around and around and around and it's just like a dog returning to its vomit. We don't want it. (laughs) Tell us when, if you've got them, bring it on, Phil. But uh, in the interim, we've got uh, two discs to 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 give away, basically. And what's the question, uh, Mark?
0: Phil, if you're listening, at least send us a picture of a Doctor Who film in an advanced state of vinegarness. Yes, (laughs) hopefully
1: with a bowl of uh, lettuce sitting next to it. You know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm I'm making this competition very, very easy. So thanks to our very good friends at uh, BBC on DVD. Um, we've got two copies of the Web Fear to give away. Now, all you have to do is email us at uh, 42 to doomsday at com and tell us which episode is currently missing from that story. The number is between one and six. So, take a guess and email us uh, your response. Again, we'll open it to Worldwide. If you've got a PAL player, make sure it, it works. But um, Rob and I will go back to the docs and stump up the postage. And um, it could be yours. So please send us your answers. The very first two to reach us in our email box yeah, will
1: be the winners. That's all yeah. you have to do. That is all you have to do. Just send us a number. A number. Please.
0: And also give us a couple of lines about if you like the podcast or not. Oh, yeah, of course. of course. Of yeah. course. Tell us
1: how much you love us because, you know... That'll help. That'll help. that yeah, it, just makes, it strikes my ego even more
0: So that closes out our hysterical historical episode uh, We hope you've enjoyed it Now for our next episode Rob We have uh, we have another guest Yes, uh, J.R.
1: Southall of uh, Blue Box Podcast and Starburst Magazine uh, Is going to be our guest uh, We're going to have a chat with J.R. about all sorts of things about Doctor Who of course uh, but uh, we hope to have JR on our next episode. So uh, look forward to that, everyone.
0: Now, if you want to send uh, us some questions uh, or discussion points we'd like to, for us to talk to JR about, uh, please tweet them or send them on our Facebook page or email them to our 42 to Doomsday, uh Gmail address and a uh, bit of an omni ramble uh, discussion. So that's something to look forward to for all of our listeners, I hope. To close this episode out, I've been uh, Dr. Van Vaer. And uh, in uh, recognition of my uh, heritage, I have definitely been Marco Polo. And thank you very much for listening, and uh, look forward to your company shortly. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
1: You've been listening to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the Doctor Who podcast hosted by Robin Mark. You can contact us on our Twitter account at 42 to Doomsday. You can email us at our Gmail account, 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. Facebook us at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. Until we meet again, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you soon.